Amen. Pray with me. How great thou art. As we were singing that, Lord, um, you know my heart was saying, I have no idea. I have no idea how great you are. And yet you have revealed your greatness and your glory in my life in tangible ways over and over. And it doesn't plumb the depths of who you are, of how great you are. So Lord, as we continue to worship you in your word, I pray that as your word says, you would give me the tongue of a disciple that I might sustain a weary one with your word. For the fame and the glory of your name and in the power of the Spirit, we gather together in your presence to magnify Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. Open your Bibles up to the book of Nehemiah. To find Nehemiah, you go um, to the left of the Psalms. And you'll, if you open up your Bible to the middle, it'll probably fall to Psalms and Proverbs. You go to the left of the Psalms and Proverbs, you're going to get to Job. Right after Job, you have um, Nehemiah's right in there, Esther, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, all those are in there. Um, so it's between those books and Job, basically. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'm sure somebody would be happy to put one in your hand because you're going to want to have one as we go along today. But let me ask you a question. What happens when God's people get away from God's word? What happens when God's people get away from following God's word? Well, the answer is really clear. I mean, we, not only have we been talking about it here for the last few weeks, but we've been talking about it, um, but, the, but, the, but the word of God talks about it over and over and over again. It is the cycle of the human condition, frankly. God's people getting away from God's word. And what happens is we start to become um, self-reasoning. The Bible multiple times says, and they, and they reasoned to themselves. Every time that happens, that's bad. Because every time that happens, it leads to rebellion against God. And then that rebellion ultimately leads to ruin. Like it's just this constant cycle. And, and in fact, those cycles are shown in a lot of that Old Testament material that, that I talked about um, just a few minutes ago that you can take with you. But guys, are, here's the question. Are, are we going to learn from their mistakes? Like at what point are God's people going to learn, okay, wait a minute, this cycle of reasoning to myself, rebelling against God is only ever going to lead to ruin. That is true for the church, it's true for a family, and it's true for an individual soul. Right? And we have got to sort of stop that cycle. And the only antidote I know is to preach God's word by the power of God's spirit um, over God's people. We are in this book of Nehemiah. We're going to start it today. Nehemiah was, um, was a leader, but this is not really a book on leadership. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It was one of the first books I really studied in detail because I, I am a gift of administrator, of le leadership and administration person, and so it really resonated with me. But here's what I learned. Nehemiah is not a book about building a wall. It's not a book like a lot of churches use about building a building. They'll say, well, we're going to get ready to do a building campaign, so let's teach through Nehemiah. It's not a book about giving your offerings to the kingdom of God. All of that is in there. In fact, it's not even a book about a leader and leadership, although there are great leadership principles that we're going to see over the next eight weeks. It's ultimately a book about revival. It is ultimately a book about revival of God's people through a faithful remnant. 
And, the, and, and, and what I'm wondering is, are, are we now that remnant? Not just we, Cornerstone, but those who are gospel, Bible-centered churches, are we the remnant that is actually going to be revived? Because what we have to remember is revival comes to God's people, and we'll see that as we go along today. Guys, where Nehemiah, just to give you a quick history of, of, of it, and, and again, it's all, the, the history of the Old Testament is in the packet on, at your table, but just to give you a quick history, what, what happened to God's people is, after King David united the kingdom, built the temple, well, gave, gave the money to his son Solomon to build the temple, because Solomon started to wander away from the word of God, he was a horrible, a horrible parent, and his son Rehoboam split the kingdom. Now the kingdom is divided, the kingdom of God, the 12 tribes of Israel are divided, and now they're more susceptible to attack. So Assyria, that was, those were the people that Jonah, when we were talking about Jonah a while back, those were the people Jonah were supposed to go to. Assyria conquers the 10 northern tribes in 722. And, and here's what's interesting. God raises, and God says this in, in his word, before it ever happens, God raises up another nation, Babylon, to conquer the Assyrians. And they conquer the Assyrians between 605 and 586, basically, B.C. And every time they would go back to Jerusalem, they would take people back with them to Babylon. That's, remember when we were, when we were um, studying through Revelation and Daniel? That's where Daniel and his friends get taken back to Babylon. It's during that time between 605 and 586 B.C. So, you're, so hopefully, and I know I'm throwing a lot at you with the dates and things, but as we go through the readings in even the D groups this, this semester, you, hopefully some of this stuff will start making some sense to you as part of God's story. So, and so, but he, but here's, here's an even more remarkable thing. The prophet Isaiah lived during the time when Assyria was attacking God's people. So like 700 B.C., 150 years before the man lived, Isaiah prophesies about a man named Cyrus. Cyrus wasn't the, who was going to rise up and destroy the Assyrian, or, and destroy, well, basically like free God's people. He wasn't, Cyrus wasn't king of the Babylonians. Oh, no. A whole kingdom came and went in God's economy. So the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. Cyrus is the king of the Persians, which is now, which is what is modern-day Iran. And 150 years before the boy was born, God called him by name. He said, Cyrus will be raised up, and he will allow my people to return to their nation. And so Cyrus becomes king, and he starts to let the people return back under Zerubbabel around 536. So another about, and, and, then it, and then it ends in 516, 70 years later. Ezra comes on the scene, who, which is the book right before Nehemiah, and he's there to sort of restore temple worship. And then we enter into the time that we're in now, which is Nehemiah, well, I'll, let's let Nehemiah tell you what he does. But Nehemiah comes at about 444. Now, I said, like I said, I know I threw, just threw a lot of history at you. Some of you are familiar with that. Some of you aren't. All of you now have it in your hand if you have one of those colored pieces of paper. Because every one of those dates and events is marked in God's timeline. And it does really matter. So God's people have been captured. They've been persecuted. They've been allowed to return for many years. Like by the, time, by the time Nehemiah comes on the scene, God's people have been allowed to come back to God's city, Jerusalem, for, for 75 years. What we're going to see is they did very little with what, God had given, with, with what God had given them. 
that's the point, that's why Nehemiah connects with us today. We are, we are a blessed people, if for no other reason than because we're his, Christ's. What are we doing to Jeff's charge? What, what is your mission? What are we doing with what God has given us? Okay, so here we go. We're gonna, the, the question we're asking today in this message that, I'm enti- that I've entitled Moved by the Need is are you ready to be used to restore God's kingdom? So although this is a history lesson, like what I just shared with you, bring it right to today because it could not be more applicable to what we're seeing today. In, our, in the church, I'm not even talking about in our nation, I mean in the church today. And what we're going to see is, we're going to see that, that what does it take to be used by God to restore God's, to God's kingdom? One, we have, to have, we have to have a heart that sees the need. Like we have to be broken, like, like our calling passage showed Jesus was broken by their need. The second thing we have to do is we have to be hot-hearted in our prayer life. Like prayer is the power by which all this happens that we're going to see today. And then the last thing is we have to give God some time in our lives to get us ready to prepare us to fulfill the mission. We have to give him some, some, some time to be in his word, to be discipled, to train disciples so that we're prepared. So let's pick it up in our first point, and we're starting chapter 1, verse 1. Do you have a heart that cares about God's kingdom? It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year I was in Susa the citadel, at the citadel. Then Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and, asked them, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. Okay, so, 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 so here's what he's saying. His brother, had, Nehemiah, to our knowledge, has, he's now a grown man. He's never been to Jerusalem. He doesn't know anything about like, exactly what's going on there. His brother gets a chance to go there. His brother comes back, and he asks, what's it like? What's it like? Here's my question. Why even ask the question? He's never lived there. He's grown up in captivity. Right? Like, wh- why even have a heart for that? It's because God has placed it on him. God has placed this burden for God's people on him. But, but let's take it to us. Ask yourself, through, like, like do, do you, how is, like, what's the condition of the church? What's the condition of my family? What's the condition of my own soul? As it relates to the things of God. Are we just so busy with life? Because he could have been just so busy or so comfortable that he didn't care about what the condition of Jerusalem was. But that's not his heart. He had the heart of Jesus when he, when, in what Jeff read in our calling passage. When he saw their need, his heart broke for them. So look what happens with Nehemiah. So he asked this question. And they said to me, the remnant there, so this remnant that has been allowed to return and has been living there for 75 plus years in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Guys, understand this as we go through Nehemiah. Nehemiah could care less about the wall. Like, like we get so caught up in, oh yeah, he's the dude that built the wall. The wall was a barometer of the hearts of the people. They had been living there forever, and for 70 plus years, they'd been given license to rebuild, and, and they had done nothing with God's kingdom. God's city, Jerusalem. At this, at this point in God's story, Jerusalem is the thing. Right? It's before Christ. And so, and, and they've done, they, they are so apathetic about the things of God, they've, that's what burdened his heart. But guys, understand this. It was his burden for the lukewarmness of God's people. You will not see anywhere in this book, and you won't see anywhere in what I'm going to read today, 
that he is burdened by the culture. He doesn't care what the Persians are doing or what the Persians are, are or aren't allowing them to do. All he cares about is the heart of God's people. And we need to, and we need to remember that. Like we need, to, we, need to, we need to step into that in our own like hearts and go, is that really what burdens me? Is my burden for what's going on in politics, is my burden for what's going on in my nation, is my burden for what's going on at my, even my place of work, or is my number one burden, what is going on with the kingdom of God? Because that's, if, that, if we really believe that's what really matters, that should really be our biggest burden. So let's, pick, let's, let's look at what his response is. So here's the, here's the heart that cares. As soon as I heard these words from my brother, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Guys, do you remember in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? I'll let you on a little secret. Jesus is not talking about people who have lost a loved one and are sad. Now, there's plenty of places where that is talked about in Scripture and how he is a comforter for us in that. But that's not what Jesus means when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's talking about kingdom things. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 are all kingdom things. What he's saying is, when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, he's saying, Blessed are those who mourn for the condition of God's people. Blessed are those whose, whose hearts are just grieved by the lukewarmness towards me is what Jesus is saying for they shall be comforted because someday as somebody read oh it was as Karis read in Daniel he's going to come back eyes white uh, or, um, hair white eyes flaming tongue like a sword and he's going to make it all right but until then he's left us here to, to help his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in your connecting points um, in, in your bulletin, there's a table talk question. And, and, I, and I get that it's going to be a little uncomfortable to talk about. And I get that I'm already behind because of what I was sharing earlier in the, in the message but, or in, the, in, the, in our time together. But I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to let the uncomfortableness sit because we need to talk about this. Like we need to talk about this because it is so, so, so here's the question, right? The question is, how do you respond to what you see happening in the church over the past few years? Do you lament it? Do you stand against it? Or do you step in and try to help fix it? Now here's, I'm going to reread that question in a minute, but, but let me back up a step and put it in a context that may be more familiar for some of you. How do you respond to the, because if I asked this question, you would be much quicker to, to jump into a conversation, I think. How do you lament, or, or how, how do you respond to the condition of our nation? Do you lament it? Man, our nation's, you know, going to H-E double you know, toothpicks and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Do, how, do you, I wrote down, do you stand against it? Do you, do you go to the rallies and, and, and you know, and, and I'm going to fight? Guys, and, and I'm not telling you don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't have done that. Now, the mess in Washington, D.C. shouldn't have been. But I'm saying, like, it's okay to be involved in politics. What, here's what I'm saying is, why are we not nearly so passionate? Guys, for the things of Christ. If we really believe that the kingdom of God is bigger than the is, is more important in every in, in every immeasurable like standard to our to our nation, why in the world are so many professing Christians just man? You can get them fired up about politics like that, but you say something like, "Hey, why don't you get better trained to share the gospel? Why don't you come to prayer and pray revival down to God's people?" 
They won't show up for that. Do you, so, now, so, so hopefully that gives you a better context of where my brain was when I wrote this question. We're not going to talk about the nation. That's not what we gather today as God's people to talk about. We just happen to live, we are Christians who happen to live in the United States of America. What I want you to talk about is what's going on, and you might want to combine tables for some of you so you have a better conversation, but I want you, what is your response to the condition of the church? Do you, like what you see happening in Christians around you, do you lament it? Do you stand against it and go, yeah, those people really need to get right, need to get their attitude right and start walking with Jesus, or are you, or are you ready to engage in stopping, in doing something about it? So Go. Okay, kind of um, wrap up your discussion because um, I do want to get past the problem and get, get on to the praise. Um, anybody just have something like just th something they would like to share from their table just quickly that you guys talked about? Like, like what, what seemed to be the, the tone of your conversation? No, I know it's probably a hard one to come up with specifics for as far as. Okay, it's easy to blame others for the condition of what's going on. Like, like in that, but isn't that just part of the human condition? Whether it's looking at the world, oh, those people who think this way or vote that way or, or, or whatever it is. But, but we've, we bring that right into the church, right? Like, like we're the only church that's doing it right and everybody else is not. Yeah, and, and that's, um, that is very typical for, for us. So we really do have to guard against that. I mean, like, like we have to guard against this self-righteousness. And, and ultimately, and I, I loved how Jeff prayed it during the pastoral prayer time, was like, like give us a heart to, to be merciful and to help and to step in. Guys, like, like the bottom line is, I, I don't think we need any more convincing that things are broken. Right? The world is broken, our nation is broken, and the church, frankly, is broken. The, but but we, what we got to stop doing is going, yes, yes somebody ought to fix that. Right, like, like we're the somebodies, right? Each and every one of us. If you, if you are a Christian, it, it's your church. I mean, it's ultimately his church, but you're, you're as much, but it's not Doug's job to fix it. It's not the elders and the deacons' job to fix it. It's our job together as the body of Christ. And so we have got to change our mindset to go, I need to step into that responsibility, for lack of a better term. Okay, so the question we're looking at is, are you ready to be used by building, to build the kingdom of God? So one, you have to have a heart that even cares for the condition. And then, and then as the table talk question said, you have, to be, you have to have a heart that then leads you into sort of stepping into to being a part of the solution. But there's a step before that. There's a step between seeing the need and caring about it and actually doing something. And that is that you have to be hot-hearted about your prayer life. Like, it's, it, isn't, it isn't about, oh, I see a need, I'm going to jump in, and, and, and that's going to fix it. It's, we'll see what Nehemiah shows us, and throughout Scripture, it's about praying for God's wisdom in it. Right? It's, it's um, Chris Paulson, I don't know where she's sitting, but she, was, she showed me the verse that she said that she prayed. She comes early and prays over all the tables, and the verse she gave me was out of Matthew 6, verse 8, something like that. And she's like, and it says that, that the, Jesus is saying that your heavenly father knows what you need even before you ask him. But what she was praying over us is ask him, ask him, ask him. Like we, like we need to get better at asking. Prayer is how we ask him. So let's look at, let's look at verse 5. It says, 
And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So, so his first flinch, Nehemiah's first flinch is to pray. Why? Not because of his burden. His burden is what made, him, is what made his heart grieve. But his response of prayer is because he believes in an awesome and powerful God who has unlimited resources. Right? And so he, he doesn't go, okay, what do I need to do? He says, okay, Lord, help me discern what I need to do. Look what he says. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before, day, before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Guys, do you see, I mean, if... if, if for those of you that were here for the Daniel study, if that doesn't sound just like Daniel's prayer in, in um, well, when, when Daniel was in Babylon a hundred years before this, I, I don't know, I mean, it's exactly the same prayer. We say, okay, well, yeah, it's because, that's because Nehemiah had his prayer and he's just copying it. No, Nehemiah had never seen that book. He'd never seen, listened to that prayer. In fact, a few pages earlier in, in Ezra, so if you go to Ezra, sorry, if you go to Ezra chapter 9, it's just a few pages back, Ezra chapter 9 and in verse 5, listen, this, now Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah meet, we don't get there for a few weeks, but they actually meet, so they're contemporaries, but Ezra's been in the city now for like 15 years. So 15 years before, Nehemiah's never met him, Nehemiah's still stuck in Susa, but look at how similar Nehemiah's prayer is to even Ezra who prayed this in Jerusalem. It said, at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to my Lord, my God. I'm in, I'm in chapter 9, verse 6 now, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than the heads of, of and our, our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the, of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. That's a good prayer. Nehemiah had never read that prayer when he wrote the rest of this one. So let's pick it up in verse 7. I have acted, we have acted very corruptly against you, and I have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you command your servant, servant Moses. And now he's going to do something that a lot of the Old Testament writers do, is they remind God of his own promises. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Moses wrote that a thousand years before it happened. It says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through your through your outcasts are in the though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the he of heaven from there i will gather them and bring them to the place that i have chosen to make my name dwell there they now get this they are your servants 
and your people whom you have redeemed by the great power and by, the, and by your strong hand. Do you see what his prayer is about? His prayer is not about the condition of the culture. His prayer is not about what's going on in the government that's controlling them. His prayer is not about any of that. His prayer is 100% entirely calling on the power of God to revive God's people. That's it. Just like Daniel's was, just like Ezra's was, Right, it, it is all, guys, revive, we, we have got to get this, we've got to, got to, got to get this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray to me and, and, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayers and I will heal, the, heal their land. Guys, that is not a call for national repentance to a New Testament believer. That is a call to national repentance in the Old Testament because the Old Testament, it was a theocracy. The, the people of God, Israel, was the church, so to speak. But we now live in a new age, the church age. And the people of God, you, me, we are a chosen race. We, Peter says, New Testament, not Old Testament, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people for God's own possession. That we might, pro that we might proclaim the excellencies of him that call, who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. We have got to stop praying for national repentance. We just do. I'm sorry. I get that that's not comfortable. We need to start praying. We can pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray that their hearts would turn. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said national repentance. We should pray for national repentance. We need to stop praying for national revival. That's what I should have said. Repent, pray for the nation to repent. Lord Jesus, make us repent. But we need to stop praying for national revival. Because God is not going to revive the nation. God is not going to revive any nation. God revives his people. His people are the church. We are the people he will revive. And that's what we have to keep remembering. So, with that, let's finish up his prayer. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I, am a, now I was a cupbearer of the king. So he's saying, give me the words to speak to the, to the most powerful man who lives on the planet at this point in human history. And, he start, and, and that's what he's praying. And he's praying and he's fasting. Guys, uh, every man, woman, whoever has been, that has been mightily used by God, the first thing that they do, the, it always starts with a prayer of personal repentance, a prayer of, like, like, like personal confession and self-denial. And I don't mean like denying my own, I don't mean like I, I, there's nothing wrong with me. What I mean by is, de is denying yourself what you want, living the way you want, living like trying to build the kingdom you want, and living for Christ. Right? And, and if we don't get that, that we cannot, we can't, we can't skip confession and repentance and self-denial and jump right to revival. Lord, just revive me so that I can live the way I want to live better than I'm living now. No, God is not interested in that plan, right? He needs, he wants us to be broken by what we see and to be passionate about what we're praying for his kingdom. But guys, understand this. If, if we are as worried and as anxious and as angry and as scared and as hopeless and as apathetic as the world is, we are telling the world exactly what we think about God. If we are wringing our hands and we are posting stuff on, on our social media and we are all, no different than the world, we are telling 
the world to unbelievers that are living in our home, our next-door neighbors, the people on your Facebook page. We are telling them exactly what we believe about God. We have to move past that. How do we do it? We pray. So I'm just, I've already sort of been praying, but I'm going to pray right now. Um, that is our time of response to this point. Father, I just thank you, Lord, um, for the truth that you move on hearts to repent. Like we, won't, we wouldn't repent unless you moved on our hearts. So Lord, I, I do pray for uh, hearts of repentance for your people. Lord, for, specifically for the, for the people that are part of the family of God that we call Cornerstone. Lord, I pray that we would be in ongoing repentance as your word tells us to. That we would be in ongoing confession of sin, believing your word, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's no, there's no reason for us to not bring it to you. You died that we might bring it to you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in self-denial. That we would deny what we want for the betterment of your kingdom. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's what your son said in the garden. We should say it too. Give us the power to do that. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would continue to stir our hearts for the kingdom of God. And then as we are praying to you for the condition of your church, that you would reveal to us in your wisdom what your plan is moving forward. Not just for Cornerstone. For your church that's preaching the gospel all over the globe. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. So we're going to finish up here in chapter 2, actually. So we kind of are ready for next week. So the question is, right, are you ready to be used by God to build God's kingdom? The first thing is, do you have a heart that cares? The second thing is, are you hot-hearted in your prayer? And the last thing is, will you give time to God to prepare? Will you give time to God to prepare? So look at what happens in chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, i got to just stop right there, sorry. Four months, because... We were in the month of Chislev in chapter 1, verse 1. We're now in the month of Nisan. We just went four months. Nehemiah has been praying and fasting every day for four months, has been in the king's presence every day for four months, but has chosen not to say anything because he's seeking God's wisdom. So let's pick it up. It says, in the, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Let me stop there for a second. King Artaxerxes was King Xerxes' son. Anybody know who King Xerxes was? You a VeggieTales fan? Who was King Xerxes? Mark. I don't know. Who, right, who was, he, who was he married to? Esther. So Esther, from the book of Esther, right? Esther is Artaxerxes' stepmother. So she probably had heard a little bit about God from her. So now Xerxes has died, Artaxerxes, and guys, these are real kings that, oh, by the way, are written about all over history that are not, in the, not just in the Bible, right? Like, like you can look up all of that history that's on that colored flow chart. Of the, that's all history, like archaeologically proven history. It's not just a made-up Bible story. So Artaxerxes, he's there, and he says, and, and, and when wine was before him, I took up the wine because he was a cupbearer of the king. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And there's a reason for that here we'll, we'll say in a minute. And he said, and here's why. Because the king had said to me, why is your face so sad? Seeing you are, I, I see that you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness in your heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why? Because you had no business being a downer. 
to the most powerful man in the world. Right? There's, until Nehemiah knew he was ready to divulge, like, to divulge the plan God had given him for over four months of praying and fasting, he was not going to risk having the king go, man, if, if you don't get your act together and start cheering up around here, you're out. Like, and when I say out, you're not just no longer my cupbearer, you're out. Right? And so, so he's like, oh, okay. But here's what, here's what Nehemiah knew. Proverbs 21.1. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it any way he wishes. He knew. We don't know exactly how he knew, but he knew that this day, out of all the days in the last four months, was the day that, that the Lord had turned Artaxerxes' heart to be favorable to what he's about to ask. Right? And, and here's, the, and here's the, the other thing that we've got we to get, because some of us, when I ask you, so what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing to improve the condition of the church. What are you, are you coming to church saying, I, what, what am I bringing to church today? Or are you coming to church going, man, I sure hope I get something out of it. Some of you would say, and you'd, very, you'd say, well, I'm, I pray. I'm a prayer, I'm a prayer warrior. Awesome. I mean, we, we need more of that. Ryan, I, we, we need more prayer, prayer warriors. Absolutely. Nehemiah prayed and fasted for four months. That's not all he did. Right? If, we can't just go, well, I, just, I pray. That's what I do. Awesome. What are you doing? Right? Like, we pray and then we act. It, it takes both. Right? Like, we, 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 Nehemiah wanted to be the answer to the thing he had been praying. He's like, man, I see what's, I've heard what's going on there. I hear how cold-hearted people are towards the kingdom of God. Lord, give me the wisdom on how to fix it, and then let me be the instrument you're going to use. Right, that last part is where a lot of Christians stop. They don't want to say, let me be the instrument. Whether it's out of some self, like, you know, like it just sounds too arrogant, whether, I, I don't know all the reasons, or it's just laziness. But we are to be the instruments that he uses. That's why he has us here. So let's keep going. It says, the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I, I, I have that verse highlighted, underlined, and circled in my Bible from years ago. Why? Because I need to do a whole lot more of that when people ask me questions. The king is finally asking him the question he's been waiting four months to get to, and his first flinch is, so I prayed. And then I spoke. Guys, we need to do that a lot more in our marriages, right? Like when you're about to have a, a really not kind um, conversation with your spouse, pray first. Pray for them. Don't just go, Lord, convict their heart that they would just be, see the sinner they are against me. Like, that's not it. Pray, Lord, bless them. Encourage them. Show me their heart. And I, I, when I'm doing well, like even when I'm talking to you guys before and after church, when you guys are asking me some, like you're, you're sharing something hard, like half my brain is listening and the other half of my brain is going, Holy Spirit, show me like what's really going on here. Give me the words to say. And that's ultimately what Nehemiah is doing here. He says, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and, and we need to be doing a whole lot more of that. And he says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, remember, he's never been there before, that I may rebuild it. Guys, again, he wants to be the one who is the instrument for the rebuilding, for the restoring, for the renewing, 
for the reviving of God's people. Like he wants to be used by God to do that. That's what he's been praying for for four months. And the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So the king wants some like definitive answers. He's like, Nehemiah, I don't, I'm not just sending you away because I want you back here. So it pleased the king to send me when I gave him a time. Guys, do you see what that is implying? How could he have possibly given him a time? Because for four months, he wasn't just praying, he was planning. Nehemiah had the plan, he'd never been there and he had the plan laid out by God's wisdom alone. Right, by God's wisdom alone. And, the, and so verse 7, and the, um, and then, he, and then he, he moved, and then Nehemiah keeps asking. He said, and so I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So now he's, Nehemiah's, and this, this is important for us because we, he's been praying for God's power to work. But he isn't just going, okay, and once I get there, I'm just, I'm just gonna trust that God's gonna knock down every obstacle. He's saying, I have been given audience and favor from the most powerful king in the world, and it might help me a little bit if I had a letter from him that actually said, um, don't touch him. You touch him, you mess with him, you're messing with me. Like, we, we have to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves in this evil age. We ha- guys, we we can't just pray for supernatural power and then go, okay, God, I'm just going to stand here and wait for you to show up. We, ha- we have to act. And part of acting was Nehemiah to go, hey, um, I could use a little help. How about some letters that tell me I'm allowed to do what I'm about to go do so nobody messes with me? And the last thing it says, in a letter to Asaph, the, the keepers of the king's forest, that they may give me timber to make beams for the gates and a fortress for the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I, will, that I shall occupy. And get this, and the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Guys, as the music team comes up and we get ready to respond to him in the word of, um, just in in our time of communion, guys, get that. Like, understand what he's saying here. He isn't just saying the good hand of God was upon me in this moment when I was in front of the king. Yes, but he's saying, because I was praying specific prayers for specific needs, God, give me the plan. God, give me an audience. God, when, he, when the answer came, he knew it was all God. Hey, as God's people, we, guys, as God's people, the good, if you're saved, if the shed blood of Christ is upon you, the good hand of God is on you. Regardless of what you're feeling, regardless of what you're struggling with right now, and I get it. I, it's hard. I do. But the good hand of God is upon you. The question is, are we, are, why don't we notice it more? Probably because we're stuck in that eddy I was talking about at the beginning of the service. We are so caught up in what's going on in our little kingdom. How do I protect it? How do I fix it? How do I, like, all, guys, we aren't about the kingdom work. So he's answering these prayers to move his story forward. And we're missing it because we're all about our comfort. We're all about like just trying to make our like, just, just trying to survive. Survive for what? Like honestly. Guys, the worst thing in the world is not dying of a virus. 
The worst thing in the world is dying without Jesus Christ. And there is a world right here, right out there, that's going to hell. Are, are we going to be a people who step up and are used by him to build his kingdom? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for, I thank you for an example of just a man, Nehemiah. We are going to see how you worked in literally miraculous ways through him. Not just by going, bah, and, and there's a wall. No. You used him as the instrument to rally your people to get the job done. That's, that's the church today. Lord, as, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, you take the word of God and apply it to the people of God that we might become conformed to the image of the Son of God so that you can place us in the church of God, that, that our particular gifting and body part might fit together for the glory of God. Together. Just like they are going to rebuild the wall in miraculous time, together is how we are going to see revival. Together is how we're going to see hearts come into the kingdom. Together is how we're going to bring you glory. Let our lives bring you glory, oh God. In Jesus' name. So